0: Welcome to the Climate Report on Forward Radio, WFMP, 106.5 FM, Louisville. This is Hart Hagen, your host, and we are on episode number 151. Today's topic is Louisville's Green New Deal, Part 3. We'll be talking about Louisville's Green New Deal in a few minutes, but first, here's what the Climate Report is all about. We live in a world that's far too toxic and far too polluted, and that's not the fault of 99% of people. It's the fault of a system that gives all the power to a tiny minority of 1% and allows them to make all the decisions. As a result of this dysfunctional political and economic system, we face five threats to our very existence, one of which is climate change. Another one is a loss of biodiversity. Another one is war, including nuclear war. Another one is rapidly diminishing supplies of fresh water. And another one is a highly dysfunctional food delivery system based on agribusiness instead of being based on small local organic farms. What we have is a society that is sorely in need of transformation. and In order to make that transformation happen we need to do three things educate, organize, agitate. Those three things are the pillars of activism. Educate, organize, and agitate. And that's what the Climate Report is all about. This program is part of WFMP's Public Affairs Educational Programming. The views expressed are those of the speaker and not the station. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback, please email info at theclimatereport.net. Also, if you enjoy this content, please go to theclimatereport.net where you can find more playlists and episodes of this program, as well as videos and a blog. On these episodes entitled Louisville's Green New Deal, we've been going through my handy-dandy numbered list of items for consideration as to what Louisville could and should look like under a Green New Deal, as well as, you know, what is our part as local people? What is our part in that process? And then what should we uh, ask and even demand from state and federal government? So now we're down to item number 23 on my handy dandy numbered list. And item number 23 is political organization building so we're going to be about the business of building political organizations and we're going to uh, it's going to be a silo free zone so silos are where a person has knowledge or expertise a person or an organization has knowledge and expertise and access to a body of information but they don't readily share that with others. So quite often silos are not the result of anybody guarding their territory. Silos are a result of just not being very efficient and productive at sharing our information with others. Because if, if people, here's my question, if people knew more, would they do more? I think you'll agree with me that if people knew more, they would do more. For example, if an event is coming up that you're interested in, but you don't know anything about the event, then you know less, so you do less. But we want to build organizations and build coalitions across issues. For example, the fight for a $15 an hour minimum wage should be on the radar of everyone who has environmental concerns. In addition to that, the fight to end cash bail and the fight to end our prison industrial complex should be on the radar of environmentalists and peace activists And uh, all of the above should be on the radar of civil rights activists. And we need to build bridges with climate action, with local agriculture, with people who are advocating for mass transit and with people who are advocating for solar energy. That is a process of political organization building. Now, so one thing is, how do you build those bridges? And that's part of what these, uh, recently I've started these Green New Deal teach-ins with the Democratic Socialists of America and with Extinction Rebellion. And the Green New Deal teach-in is based on a model similar to, to business networking organizations so you network but you don't just exchange business cards but you want to be kind of in a round table discussion we the green, the format of the green new deal teach in is to have a forum where you don't just have one speaker and everybody else listens. You don't just have two or three speakers and everybody else listens. Everybody has a, a chance to, to speak. Not that everybody has to speak equally, but everybody has a chance to speak. And that way you get to know other people, you get to like other people, you get to trust other people. And that gives you a basis for... Uh, For coalition building. If you know what they're up to, then you want, and they invite you to an event, you're more likely to go to that event if they know you, if you know them, like them, and trust them. So that's what I mean by coalition building. We need to network, but not just exchange business cards. We need to be able to go a little bit deeper into somebody's content and be exposed to their knowledge, their insights, their passion, so that we can know them, like them, and trust them. So that's what I mean by political organization building. Now, item number 24. Let's talk a a little bit about the $15 an hour minimum wage. How does that fit into the Green New Deal? Well, one thing I want to say about the $15 an hour minimum wage before I get to that is $15 an hour minimum wage is something that can be enacted locally. The first locality to enact a $15 an hour minimum wage was Seattle. And then other states and and localities started to enact and adopt a $15 an hour minimum wage. Louisville could do that. Any locality can do that. Now, how does that fit into the Green New Deal? Well, for one thing, every green, there are different versions of the Green New Deal uh, offered by different organizations, but every version of the Green New Deal uh, talks about the need for a living wage. It could be $15 an hour, it could be more, but it needs to be a living wage as opposed to the $7.5 an hour minimum wage we have now, which is less than half. Of the $15 an hour minimum so here are some of the benefits of a $15 an hour minimum wage for one thing you have uh, it keeps money in the local economy if you pay if if a company like McDonald's or whatever has to pay its uh, profits to uh, to its workers at least $15 an hour then more of those earnings stay in the community Plus, it's only good and right and fair for the workers to have more of a share of the pie. Because here's what's happened. For the last 50 years, wages have stayed flat while profits have gone through the roof. The economy is double or triple what it was 50 years ago, and yet wages have stayed the same in real terms adjusted for inflation. A healthy economy is made when you give more money to workers instead of letting businesses extract uh, exorbitant profits and then those profits don't get spent in the community. Plus, when you pay a living wage, people have more of an ability to take care of themselves and there's less of the stress that comes from Poverty. There's less of the stress that comes from inequality. So we should fight for a $15 an hour minimum wage in Louisville and we should build bridges the, uh, with different organizations that have slightly different causes number 25 is uh end cash bail so there's an organization louisville surge s-r-s-u-r-j stand up for racial justice and l surge is louisville stand up for racial justice and they have a program where they're knocking on doors to end cash bail that's a good cause in and of itself and uh, environmentalists and peace activists uh, and people who are not directly involved with uh civil rights have an opportunity to become directly involved with civil rights and build bridges with other organizations. So the fight to end cash bail is good in and of itself in that you know cash bail bail is highly unjust if you're arrested for something or if you have a a fine an outstanding fine and and you have to pay cash for your bail, but you don't have the cash to pay the bail, then you stay in prison, then it's, it's disruptive of your family, and it is a, it's an injustice. So that kind of thing needs to be ended under any circumstances, but because I'm telling you this and because you're more aware that this is going on, then you have an opportunity to get out and knock on doors to end cash bail. Item number 26, fight to end the prison industrial complex. So the United States, on a per capita basis and on an absolute basis, has more prisoners than any place else in the world. The prison population has gone through the roof since the 80s and 90s. It's highly unjust. It's bad for people. It's bad for our economy. And it's only good for the profits of a few rich people. And some of this involves federal crimes and federal prisons, but some of it involves state uh, prisons. So to the extent that somebody is in prison because of a non-violent crime, sometimes involving marijuana, we need to fight to end the prison industrial complex. We need to make sure that in our locality and in our state, we are doing everything we can to fight to uh, to you know, pardon and release people who are in prison for nonviolent offenses. Item number twenty-seven: local currency. Now, here's where we're getting into the local economy. So we could have a local economy uh, that is that is stimulated in part with local currency. Now, I don't. I'm not an expert on local currency. I'm trying to throw out a bunch of ideas to you. And if, if we wait for me to know everything, then we're going to be waiting a very long time because I'll never know everything. So I ask your permission to throw out some things where I'm not a complete expert. But what comes to mind is that you know, local currency, how do, how do you have local currency? Well, it's something that you get and you can spend in, uh, in the locality. Now, we could, you know, Louisville should be giving out $100 per month of local currency to everybody. Here's $100, go spend it in local businesses. And maybe that could be funded partly with tax dollars, partly with discounts from the local businesses, but we don't want the burden of this to fall entirely on the local businesses. And when we do this, it rewards local spending on the local economy. Another benefit is that we're not participating in corporate America. These big corporations need to be entirely and utterly disempowered through taxation, through regulation, through economic boycott, through whatever means possible. These big corporations are parasitic. They are not contributing to our economy. Show me a Fortune 500 corporation that is a net contributor to our economy because I haven't found one yet. Okay, item number 28, a time bank. So a time bank is where you trade skills. It's kind of a barter system. And one benefit of a time bank is we're kind of creating an alternative economy. We don't want to be beholden. Some of us need to check out from this rapacious exploitative economy that we have. Not everybody can afford to do that, but some of us can, and we need to participate in a local bartering economy because otherwise we're just selling out to corporate America. And we're perpetuating this capitalist system that is run by people who are full willing to run us all over a precipice. So we need to disempower corporate America and empower local and regional economies. A time bank, a local time bank, is one way of doing that. Okay, so let's also talk about a tool bank. So what if Louisville had a one or more tool banks? So let's say from time to time you need a drill. But you know buying a drill has a couple of problems. One is expensive. Two, it takes a lot of resources that, you know, anything that's made out of plastic or metal or wood, I mean, anything that's made out of these materials, anything that requires fossil fuels to either manufacture it or transport it, this is a drain on our planet's finite resources. So a tool bank is kind of like a library, except it has tools. So Louisville under a Green New Deal, if it's really implementing the spirit and purpose of the Green New Deal, it's going to have a tool bank. That way you can borrow what you need and not have to buy everything that you need. Item number 30, a Louisville that is fully implementing the spirit and the purpose of the Green New Deal is going to have rain barrels. So a rain barrel has a couple a rain barrel is something that catches the rain water when it comes down out of your downspout. So a rain barrel has a couple of benefits. One is it, it's good for all of that rain water to not go into the drains for reasons that I won't go into, but it makes, for dirt, when, it makes for dirtier water when you push all of that into the drains. So we need to hold back whatever water we can, the worst thing that can happen to a raindrop is to go rush, rush, rushing into the stream. The best thing that happened to, can happen to a raindrop is to uh, get caught by a rain barrel or get caught by a tree or get caught by a rain garden. So that's one benefit of rain barrels is that it, it keeps too much water from rushing into the stream. Another benefit is that you can use the water from that rain barrel for different purposes. For instance, if you need to water your garden, you can use the water from your rain barrel. And that's much, much better than using city water because city water takes power and energy to pump it to your house. Besides, there may come a day I hope not, but there may come a day when our water just gets more and more polluted, and you can't trust it. In which case, we're going to need to be catching the water from our roofs. Item number thirty-one of what you know what what is a green Louisville under a green New Deal? We're going to have more rain gardens, so just like the rain barrels, a rain garden. Preferably it has native plants in it so it's supportive of local ecosystems. And just like the rain barrel, it catches water so that your water doesn't go rush, rush, rushing into the stream because that's not good for the streams and rivers. Item number 32, and what does a green Louisville look like under the Green New Deal? We want to have support for removal of invasive species from our forests. And our hedgerows and our fence rows. So around here, some of the worst native uh, some of the worst invasive species include bush honeysuckle and wetter creeper. So we want to train people to be skilled, in removing those invasive species that way because invasive species crowd out our native plants and you need native plants to support your local ecosystems, your local bees, butterflies, and birds. It's not a small thing, it's a big thing. There are hundreds of invasive species in, the, in our forests, our fence rows, and our hedgerows all over America we need to deal with that problem we need to invest a lot more in that and a lot less in mowing mowing should be done very very sparingly and the manpower for lack of a better word that is used to do all this mowing which causes a lot of pollution that manpower needs to be dedicated to removing invasive species from our forests, our fence rows, and our hedgerows, and it also needs to be dedicated to native plant landscaping instead of this lawn, which is a plague. So item number 33 is native plant landscaping. We need to train ourselves and one another, and we need to train our lawn workers, and garden workers how to do native plant landscaping. People need to know that oaks are number one, and plums and cherries are number two, and willows are number three, and birch is number four, and maple is number five when it comes to supporting our local leaf-eating insects. It's one of the most important things you could possibly know, and yet hardly anybody knows it, because we've got our priorities all out of line. So we need to train more people in native plant landscaping and we need to be getting that work done. Item number 34, we need to do less mowing and have more no-mow lawns. No-mow lawns are beautiful and they take no more maintenance than a mowing lawn. It's just a different aesthetic. It's a different set of tastes. And the no-mow lawn that has trees and native plants is much healthier ecologically it's better for the water it's better for the air it's better for the bees butterflies and birds we need to redirect all these resources that go into mowing and direct them into no-mow lawns number 35 what does a green louisville look like under the green new deal item number 35 is looking at the issue of single-use plastics So California and maybe a couple of other states and cities have outlawed single-use plastic bags. Exceptions are made for trash bags. But this is a step in the right direction because plastics are polluting our our soil, our water, our oceans. And there are healthy ecological alternatives to single-use plastics. Now I would take this a step further and I would eliminate most of the of single use plastic bottles and single use glass bottles. So when I was growing up, uh if you had a Coke bottle, you could return it for 5 cents. Uh, later on it was it was increased to 10 cents. So that encouraged a couple of things. One, uh, you might save your own bottles and return them, or for people who carelessly threw them out on the side of the road, people could come along, pick them up, and and get 5 cents or 10 cents uh, as a deposit for that bottle. The deposit today might be 50 cents, so that people could come along and pick them up and return them for deposit. So for one thing, it would eliminate a lot of the litter. For another thing, recycling, the way we do it, I don't think is very effective. The burden of recycling falls entirely on the consumer. Almost all recycling is voluntary. None of the cost of recycling falls on the bottler or whoever it is making us use this single-use glass or plastic Here's how it could work, so here's how it works now. The Coca-Cola delivers Cokes to the store and the store sells the Cokes. People drink the Cokes and they put the bottle into the trash or into recycling or throw it on the side of the road. Here's how it could work. The bottler comes to the store and drops off the Cokes and then while the bottler is at the store, picks up the Coke bottles that have been returned for deposit and then they take that back to the bottling plant or the factory or whatever. This would cause us to reuse. How wasteful is it for us to throw away every bottle that we use? A glass bottle can be used many, many times. But guess who does not want that Coca-Cola doesn't want it, and Pepsi doesn't want it, and whatever companies are making uh, whiskey and wine and liquors and beer, and they don't want that because it cuts into their profits, but we're talking about extremely profitable companies, plus they don't have the right to shift the cost of their business onto us. So let's eliminate single-use plastics and let's bring back the practice of returning bottles for refund. Item number 37, power generation with solar. So in a green Louisville under the Green New Deal, what does it look like for Louisville to do its part in solar power generation? Well, I know a lot of Louisvilleians who continue to fight for something called net metering, which means if you have a solar panel, you can sell your power to LG&E, Louisville Gas and Electric. So that's an important part of the equation. Shout out to Sarah Lynn Cunningham and the people at Louisville Climate Action Network. So we also need to be lobbying for tax credits for solar power. We need to be getting our congressman, John Yarmouth, to get federal funding to support a smart energy grid because that's just part of the equation. That's one of the top five things, at least, that is needed for to convert to renewable energy. We need a smart power grid. We need to be doing like Dale Ross in Georgetown, Texas, who decided to convert the entire town, based on purely business reasoning and logic, decided to convert the entire town to renewable energy. We need to be talking about to what extent should we have windmills around here. I mean, there's more wind in some places than in others, so I don't know to what extent windmills are feasible but questions like that need to be answered. Item number 38, power efficiency in terms of travel. So we definitely need to think about mass transit. I may have the opinion that mass transit, that instituting mass transit need not be complicated, that we need to have the will to do it, but it doesn't have to be complicated. What you do is you make buses more plentiful and you make parking more expensive or by permit only. That would be a big change for a lot of people, but you have to ask yourself, are we serious about this? Are we serious about saving our planet for future generations? If so, one of the main things we need to do is change our transportation. We need to have several buses per day going between here and Indianapolis, here and St. Louis here in Lexington, here in Nashville. Buses, intercity, interstate buses, should not be something that is so expensive and inconvenient that only the poorest people can do it. Anybody who has a little money and values their time is going to fly. It should not be that way. So I've got about a minute left. I'd like to leave you with some thoughts. So this is the end of our three-part series on Louisville's Green New Deal. The Green New Deal is something that is going to happen if people get behind it, if people get informed and get behind it. The Green New Deal is not going to happen if people act lackadaisical about it, if people don't get informed and don't get behind it. But we have an opportunity to create a whole new world. We can create a world with cleaner air, cleaner water, more interesting activities. We can create a world with racial justice. We can create a world that is not dominated by a few, wealthy, powerful people at everyone else's expense. So a lot of this needs to start to happen on the local level. Former Speaker of the House Tip O'Neill said, All politics are local, meaning you have to have a grassroots organization. You need to have people on the ground. Plus, when you build that local organization, you can influence not only local government, but also state and federal government. We've got serious work to do, but in the process we can have fun. In fact, we can have the time of our lives. Email me at info at theclimatereport.net if you would like to see or hear my opinion as to what you might get involved with in Louisville, depending on your needs and concerns. That's all the time we have. Thank you for joining me. Hope you come back soon. Have a great day.